and welcome to Lily High on Life. Our special guest today is Sion Meltzer. Sion, welcome to Lily High on Life. Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, having me and inviting me over. Thank you. I am really looking forward to our interview because I um, got you to fill in a little information about uh, things that you've done in the past that I had absolutely no idea ah, the about. the secret life of Walter Mitty, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the secret life of C and Meltzer, exactly. And this is one of the, the reasons I do Lily High on Life, because you go through the day and you meet people throughout the day and just by looking at them or interacting with them, you've got no idea what their lives are really like now or before. Well, I could say yes, it's fairly mundane and we just get on with things, but no, it's, it's an interesting history and uh, interesting circumstance today. Uh, I, I work as a video producer, uh, cameraman, editor, uh, producer, and I mainly do corporate work and I'm, I'm doing that currently. Um, so Now, um, I'm, I'm a, is, I shouldn't assume anything, so let me just ask the question. So this work is all based on stuff you've done in the past and people are still calling you up and asking you to do stuff? Yeah, well, in any, you've got to reinvent yourself regularly and uh, these days it's a post-COVID challenge of maintaining the client base of what I had prior. But given all that aside, um, no, it's it's work. I do video work, so if predominantly in the corporate sphere. So what kind that, of companies? So that uh, big corporate companies uh, with CEOs or managing directors or general managers that need to be interviewed, tell a story, promotion of a new product, a new factory, a new process, uh, storytelling of the business, the history of the business. For instance, last late last year, I did some work for. Uh, Iron Man 4x4, which is a company owned by uh, Tom Jacobs, um, has a very big accessories business in the 4x4 sphere. He'd never made um, history of the company, so I, oh, wow. I, I did history of the company video for him last year, uh, and, and his son Samuel. Um, but any anything and anything that comes up, I'll happy to grab. Um, yesterday, I was doing a, a small job for an insurance firm just promoting themselves and do you find that you're working full-time part-time now that we're out of lockdown well uh, to be 100 percent honest uh it's it's less than part-time at the moment work is not as fluid as it was I but you also get to pick and choose what you want to well do. i can yeah but look it, it's not it's not uh you know too depressing it's 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 a it's a just a temporary hiccup i think you know and it's a matter of how I promote myself and uh, the work that I want to do. How do you promote yourself Well, it's nowadays? website, it's, it's word of mouth predominantly, it's referral predominantly. Occasionally I'll try some social media thing, but I, oh, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> so you actually, all somebody needs to know is that they want to make some kind of video production yes, yes. and you will arrange everything yes, from yes. super nuts with whatever they need for the correct you know and, and years ago I used to do lots of function videos I did I did bar mitzvah videos uh, bat mitzvah videos 21st school videos all that sort of stuff whether I need to go back to that well yes I do from an income point of view but I don't really want to from a mentally from a mental point of view um, I, I at one stage was probably I did most videos for most bar mitzvahs uh, around town 
uh, and th- they weren't the function per se. They were videos to be shown on the night. So, right. and, and, and what they weren't photo essays. I went out of my way to do something different, make short stories with kids, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or you know, um, uh, family spoofs with the, the pet dog, um, driving cars, all sorts of weird and wacky things. You know, it was fun. It was great, and uh, did that, did that sort of stuff for years. You've yeah. got to have fun. How did you get into it? Well, how did I get into it? My father was in advertising back in the 60s um, and I was often dragged off to a shoot as an extra. Okay. As an unpaid extra. (laughs) (laughs) And I can vividly remember two ads that I got involved with. There was um, the 1964 Ford campaign and a a dog food called Lucky, Lucky Dog, I think, or something like that where I was an extra and I would be the kid playing with the dog, I would be the kid sitting in the back seat of the car. And, you know, I, would, I got excited by that stuff. And, and then they went to edit it and I got to sit in as a kid on the editing side of things and just found myself drawing on the back of 16 mil negative film and creating shapes and stuff and winding it through the machine and seeing what it looked like, all that sort of stuff. And it got, an enthousi- it got enthusiastic for it. Um, my brother also caught the bug, and he was into photography. So between the two of us, you know, we were in the, the part of this family that was in advertising, so to speak. So and back in those days, advertising was predominantly video production, or it also included some of the other things like newspaper ads. I was no, it was mainly film production. It was it yep. was entirely film production. Um, Dad had a film company, uh, made a lot of TV commercials for Ford and General Motors and. That sort of stuff, um, and you just get you know you get excited by that sort of thing, and you know you think it's glamorous, but hey, the truth is that but it it's isn't fun. Well, it is fun if it works. Yes. Yeah. And as a kid, a twelve-year-old, a fourteen-year-old, a sixteen-year-old, you know, it was exciting. And then came I finished school. I wasn't very academic. I didn't do sciences. They want they didn't want to send me off to do medicine or law. Um, but I uh, ended up. I found myself at. Um, Paran Tech for a year in 1973 doing accounting. Oh, what a waste of time that was. And then I found myself in 1974 at La Trobe Uni doing uh, an arts degree. What a waste of time that was. <laughs> and then... Yes, I've got, a, I've got a, a BA from Melbourne University, which I also say what a waste of yeah. time that was. But, it, it, but I did persevere and I had four or five fantastic years at La Trobe. Um, and I ended up doing a music degree there. Oh, wow. What did music. you play? Well, the good thing about this particular course at that time was it wasn't a performance-based degree. It was more to do with new technologies. They introduced a brand new course at La Trobe to do with uh, computers and, um, uh, and experimentation and audio recording and mixing and all that sort of stuff. It was pretty a pioneering course. I think it was the first in Australia of its type and I absolutely loved it absolutely loved it and I uh, before graduating I got offered a job at Channel 7 I'll talk about that a bit later but I got offered a job at Channel 7 so I had the dilemma to leave university with a piece of paper or take this job at Channel 7 I took the job at Channel 7 <laughs> smart move well yes and no yeah no it was <clears throat> it definitely was and I ended up doing a sound recording uh, for TV shows back in the days when it was on film 
and um, uh, tape recorders for the audio. Yes. And you had to sync the two together with a clapperboard, <laughs> and uh, you know the film. And that, and I, my first job was with um, the legendary Mike Willisey. Uh, as a sound recordist in the Melbourne office for the Willisey at Seven show. Wow. So we looked That's up. That's iconic. And I was 19, maybe 20. And, um, and it was fantastic because they gave me this opportunity. Uh, I, I rose to the task and I managed to master the technology, the equipment. And basically was thrown at me and said, you can do this. And I said, yeah. They gave me two weeks to prove myself and I did. And I got the job there full time. And we looked after Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia and Western Australia and um, travelling all the time. So you were working on the Mike Willisey show, which was a huge deal at yes. the time. Yeah. What was the what was the reaction from your friends and people oh, everybody that had was gone in... off to uni and <laughs> done boring things? Well, everybody Sorry. was in awe of this guy working on a famous television show. But uh, you know what? It was a it was a routine. It was nine to five or nine to nine, whatever the the times were. But it was exciting, and every day was different. You know, most of the week the Melbourne office had to produce one show per day, or one uh, one story per day. Mm-hmm. That could have been just a simple interview, or it could have been something more complex to do with uh, refugees or crooked doctors or you know yeah. rotten car salesmen or whatever. Did you, you schlep know. your brother along to this? No, no, he was living. Well? My brother was living in London at the time he was squatting over in London doing photography and then he went to New York and lived there for about 10 years so so. you really had a more exciting type Jewish family life than most um, people the Jewish family side of things was through my mum's side Um, my late grandmother Zina Zina Sakharia a lovely woman from Poland and they were they were refugees from Poland in 39 they managed to get out before Bialystok was closed and they got to Australia. Looking back do you see that that had an impact on your life the fact that they yes. did manage to yeah, well, escape? I had, yes because I had I had the Jewish side um, predominantly through them through my mum's side and my father's side was much more Anglo-Saxon South African not very religious you know, we would have roast lunches on roast lamb lunches on Sundays, and not really observant of the holidays and that sort of stuff. So that was sort of the the non-Jewish side. Yet still, I had a bar mitzvah, a temple beth, and still did all that. Um, Do you speak any Yiddish at home? Oh, uh, my mum's my mum's <laughs> side. They spoke Yiddish. My grandmother only spoke Yiddish and Polish, and uh, I'm not sure about Hebrew. But, Did uh, you go to any of the youth movements? Yes, or? yes. They sent me off to Sunday school and they sent me off to... Um, uh, there was one in Elwood that they dragged me off to, which <laughs> I, I don't have very fond memories of, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lots of people don't. But actually, I do. I went to all of them and, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. But yeah. I can understand why if you were forced to go. Yeah. Didn't really make good friendships there my, my friendships through life were mainly from school and uh, I had a, a mixed bag of fruit I had a, a, a close friend um, who's now passed away but he's it was Yugoslav family so oh. I was in there for, I grew, he was the only child and I was always there at their house so I had a, a I had a smack full of, uh, of the Yugoslav culture Croatian and uh, you know and, mm. and the food and all that and Branko would have come to our house to 
to enjoy the Jewish side of things. I went to his house to do the Croatian and Serbian <laughs> side of things. And yeah, so I had a good mixed, mixed fruit there. And then um, when I went to university, I befriended an Egyptian guy, Rafiq, and got to know, he was a lovely man, and, and got to know him and his family very well, and a lot of non-Jewish kids, of course, young men, I suppose, and ladies. Um, and uh, yeah, just my whole life has been this mixture of, of cultures. And just going back to your grandmother for a little while, um, do you remember your grandfather as well? Or? No, my, both my grandfathers passed away before I was born. So they passed away in 54, 55. I was born in 55. And what kind of things, what do you remember from, about your grandmother? Because oh, your eyes actually sparkle when you yeah, talk no, about she, her. She was a fantastic lady. I was often dumped there, as as you do. Mum worked. Mum worked in the city. Dad worked. Whatever. He was always away, um, and uh, I was dumped at my grandmother's. Often slept there. Of course, I can remember that vividly. There was a smell. There was a mothball smell. Yes. <laughs> um, but I knew where the chocolates were hidden in the cupboard, <laughs> and she had one of those old-fashioned fridges, old-fashioned stoves. Used to make the best biscuits. Don't know how she made biscuits out of a stove with a stove like that, <laughs> you know, dragging me to the Ackland Street fish market, um, as you did. Um, Such wonderful memories. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Have you been back to Ackland Street recently? Oh, Shocking. It's bereft of anything. They need to build the fish market again. There Bring you back go. some character. <laughs> it's, ter- it's terrible what they've done. The Jewish me. Mafia used to run that on a Sunday morning. Yeah. They upstairs card games. <laughs> I used to go to raise money for different things as a child. So, yeah, mum and then lived in Tennyson Street, Elwood, in in an apartment there, or flat, as you called them, just around the corner from the gardens. And I was always forced to be with my two uh, cousins, Terry and Robin. The three of us used to always play together. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. It was was close-knit with the... On the on the female side, because my grandmother came to Australia with her two sisters, so from that three families um, evolved. Yeah, and we're always together, you know, wherever we went um, with 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 the families. That's it's they're the best memories when families were that close, because nowadays it just doesn't happen that much mm. for a bunch of reasons, but. It's so special to have those memories from when you were young. Absolutely. absolutely. And now also you're a Grossermacher with the JR, which is the only Jewish radio station in Victoria. In and, and And you're making huge changes and expanding it. How did that happen? Um, well, a potted history of JR is that it, it came about around eight, nine years ago from the remnants of a previous incantation called Lion FM. Unfortunately, the Lion FM people lost the, the license, so we also lost the frequency. So we, a group of us got together, myself, uh, Robert Bonchek, um, and one or two others who aren't there anymore, um, decided that we need to keep the radio license. We need a Jewish radio station in Melbourne. There wasn't one at that station. Good on you, Kola yeah. Kavod. Yeah, and... Um, we had and um, we managed to secure a frequency, eighty-seven point eight, on the FM dial. That's a frequency. But that's not it anymore. No, no. But I'll tell you why. We rented that frequency. We're eighty-eight. Yeah. Now, well, the good FM. news is that we bought eighty-eight. <laughs> J Air has the asset of 
that li- that license number now, 88FM. Awesome. So that's a value asset. It's an a, a valuable asset for us. It cost us uh, uh, money that which you raised to purchase it. So it's 88. It gives a very strong signal. And we have our studios in St Kilda Road, near Alma Road. Uh, we've built three purpose-built studios. And the transmission point, which is better, is um, at Chadston. So it's on the roof of the Chadston Shopping Centre, beaming out in the direction of Caulfield. So because of your production experience and everything, you were aware that uh, that a radio station was a great idea, and I'm assuming that it was from your mother and your Jewish... Uh, grandmother and your Jewish sort of interactions. Yes and no. That... I mean, the... Uh, I, I had helped to create a radio station at school. I had helped to create La Trobe University's first radio station. So for some reason, in the back of my brain, there's something to do with radio there. I don't know what it is. Maybe there was a disc jockey in Poland back in <laughs> 1920 that used to play Chopin. I don't know. You know um, and I, and I, love, I just love the whole um, process and, 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 and discipline of radio and to create shows that people want to listen to. Did you find Robert Bonchek or did he no, find No, he found you? me. Well, we actually had crossed paths a few years previous when he was in audio, uh, p- uh, selling audio hardware. And I had bought some headphones and other things from him and just got to know him that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, and then he approached me to be on the, uh, to be on the committee for uh, the, the, the uh, station. And uh, we built it from there. Very cool. And look, what you've got at the moment is fabulous. Even when the when there were no live broadcasts, the music that you had, whoever did the music and everything for you, was um, was just fabulous. Yeah, the music curation music curation is rather difficult. You've got to strike a balance. We get we play a lot of Hebrew music, play a lot of Hebrew music, but a mixture, but mainly Jewish theme music, um, and it's. Uh, we have 26, 28 uh, regular weekly shows presented by that amount of people. Um, anything from politics to music to interview shows like yours, a current affairs show um, or current events show, I yep. should say. Um, uh, and some very good professional, uh, semi-professional radio people and a lot of amateurs. Yeah. But the whole uh, pro- purpose of the station is to do it... Um, uh, to provide the facility for those that want to have a show, so we which is excellent. We don't say no. People need training. I mean, that's the basic thing, and it's it's not a daunting task. The problem with um, problem and also not a problem is that co- what we've been living through with COVID this last few years, because people haven't been coming to the studio, and they've been doing it at home, like you are doing now. But as long as we maintain decent recording devices and 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 the, and the, the file is edited correctly and presented correctly, it can go to air and hopefully it's good enough to be transmitted. And this new studio is just fabulous. They look terrific yeah. and they're comfortable and um, yeah. uh, and eventually you know everything will be done from there. Although <laughs> people found remote um, remote working on everything, so. Um, 
Yeah, it's a bit of a shame because, you know, build it and they will come. In other words, we've built it and they're not coming. Ah, (laughs) but now the radio station needs to go not only across the whole of Victoria, but also nationally. Well, that's the beauty of the the internet. I mean, we're www.whateverweare, j-air.com.au. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, Mongolia, Tel Aviv, New York, whatever, you can listen to the station. Absolutely, um, and it's uh, and it gives the Australian Jewish community perspective on what's going on, in which the is world. fabulous. Yeah, and I love the fact you've got Hebrew, you've got Yiddish, you've got Russian. Yes, we've, we've got all those different shows. Uh, Yiddish, yes, three or four shows. The Russian show is very popular on Monday nights, by presented by a chap called Roman Mercus. Um, there's a sports show on Tuesday nights. There's a nothing right show, nothing left show. All those sorts of things are there, and hopefully more. We want to attract more more people to do shows. Younger, but it, the challenge for us is getting younger people to do shows. The whole thing has sort of changed. Telephones with recording telephones and social media and all that stuff and technology has changed the way radio works. And operates, but you just need to tell them that they can live stream on Facebook or something, and that'll. I think so. They're yeah, they're yeah, about yeah, what you yeah. see. But it's look, it's incredibly important. Look, look at the rubbish we're going through at the moment with the Melbourne University Student Union, and the BDS and the anti-Israel, the anti-Zionism stuff. At and, a university, and, and you know we need radio to expose that. You know, it's all very well reading about it on Facebook, but it's, you know, you, you want to see it, you want to hear stories, you know, and we, we'll give the right of reply to anybody, but uh, that's what radio is about, to, you know. Look, Absolutely. But they don't want to come on and argue in the course. So, yeah, yeah and there's really, you know, in Yiddish they say it's a Meshuggah Welt. Yeah. Today it's more Meshuggah than ever, but in a very serious way. And radio is something that is really easy and immediate that you can use as a tool. Um, So we'll do politics on another interview. But you actually had some really amazing experiences through your production work. Um, Lily High on Life is really all about feeling better. It's about the way you feel and how do I feel better. So one of the places it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth is a tiny little place called Bhutan. Mum's laughing in the background. Mum's <laughs> laughing in the background. She's actually reading about Mel Brooks. Oh, right. So God bless. <laughs> what a genius. <laughs> to be able to laugh out loud and yeah. Mel Brooks is oh. amazing. But Bhutan yes, is this I'll, amazing I'll, place. Let me tell you how lucky. I, I've, uh, back in about 86, I... Um, fell in with a production company that was doing a lot of documentaries out of Australia and I became the preferred sound recordist which pretty lucky and I worked with a few cameramen that had the gig um, and one of the countries that we did visit was uh, Bhutan and the reason for that it was a six-part documentary called the merchants of uh, was it the merchants of Asia something like that anyway one of the locations was Bhutan and um, Land of the Dragons, that's what it was called, Bhutan Land of the Dragons. It was four one hours for television, made by a company called Nomad Films, based in um, in Paran. Um, we, I was lucky. I was on the first the first Western film crew ever allowed into the country, and we got to the capital city, uh, Paro or wherever it is, and um, 
Um, we travelled through Bhutan for two weeks and went up into the mountains and uh, got as high as 18,000 feet wow. one, one afternoon. Yeah. What can you what can you tell us about Bhutan back in '84? Well, it, um, it was an incredible experience to visit these monasteries where monks were living the life they'd lived for generation upon generation upon generation. Uh, everything was still a lot of yak herders and horse and carts and mules. Not many vehicles. Was around. it the first third world type country you'd been to? I think it was a bit. It was a bit better than the third world. I've been. I had been to. India. We had to go to India to, and through India to get to Bhutan. All well, India was a real eye opener. We went to Calcutta in 1984, um, and my goodness, what a place to visit! <laughs> that was an eye opener. And uh, then we got a, an internal Indian Airlines flight. I'm still glad I'm here today to talk about it. <laughs> and um, uh, and then we drove for about two days to get into Bhutan through the most. You can imagine those roads on sides of the cliffs. Well, mm. that's what it was. And um, there was no airlines direct to Bhutan in those days. So, um, um, yeah, it was incredible. Was there a language barrier? Could you actually speak to the people? Uh, well, I'm not sure what language they spoke. I don't know what Bhutanese. We had, we had English translators. And we met a lot of scholarly people who spoke English. Because uh, they had been to Eng- they had been to England to university or America or whatever, um, but yeah, it was, um, it was. I don't know if it was promoted as the happiest place on earth back then. It's, that seems to have happened since, but it was pretty pretty exciting. Yeah, more about the um, state of mind of the people yeah. and their yeah. teachings. They had a very bad. They had a terrible incident there though back in the nineties or two thousands, where somebody killed a lot of people in the royal family with a. A gun, but anyway, that's another story. We'll have to Not find too it. happy. No, it wasn't too happy. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, were you ever tempted to do anything else or try anything else or you just found your honeypot and you were happy to um, stay? Well, I was lucky because I did, I did many years as a freelancer. So I worked for a lot of different TV shows in Melbourne and Sydney. And one of the more successful ones as everybody knows is 60 minutes so i I worked for them as a freelance that's when they were a normal company yeah that's a freelance sound recordist and i got to know yana vent and ray martin very well um she doesn't age that woman (laughs) amazing nor does ray ray's pretty he's pretty amazing um so i got to i got to work with them and i was freelance so one side story is that at the same time I'd met my now wife, Rosie, who I've been married to for 36, 37 years. Um, that really is a wow in this day and age. Um, on the day of our engagement party, which was held at um, her parents' place in Dandenong Road, I received a phone call from the production manager of 60 Minutes. And he, and he says to me, oh, sorry to interrupt your engagement party, but you know that job you were seeking... <laughs> Um, in Sydney, how would you like it? <laughs> wow! To come and work, come and work for us full time. And said, Rosie said, <laughs> "No." <laughs> what do you think she'd say? Because basically, back then it was—I would never have been home. She would, we would have to relocate from Melbourne, uproot her with all her friends and family and whatever, and then um, discover that I'm away most of the year for work. Anyway, yeah, because it was like forty weeks of travel. 
for a fifth, fifth yeah, yeah, that's how much travel they did. And it was that. too late to postpone the engagement. <laughs> so I wasn't too happy <laughs> um, being offered the job. However, I still freelanced for them for many years after. Then I... Um, but you've got to think of it as one of those Bashir things because yeah, yeah. if they'd offered it to you before, you would have said yes and your whole life would have been different. So yeah. you've got to just look at it as a good thing and a Bashir thing. Yeah, I um, ended up... Um, from that, I got involved with a company in um, Fitzroy called... Um, uh, I've forgotten what they're called, but we ended up building an edit suite and... Um, we created a business called The Facility, which was a post-production house, and that was based in Port Melbourne for about six years. I ended up becoming the general manager of that. After about eight years, I had enough. I left, um, went back to freelancing as a, a as a producer, video guy, whatever. Um, fell in with a few companies and did that for many years. And then back in uh, 2015, I got another job offer to run a post-production house called Raw Digital, R-O-A-R, in, South, in Port Melbourne. And I did that for five and a half years, still producing as well. Uh, but COVID put a stop to that, and unfortunately I, the position was made redundant. And that takes us up to date with To work. where you are. Yeah. And are you also doing things outside of um, production and media and communications? Um, I have made an effort to help the Holocaust Centre wherever possible um, in with my camera uh, over these years. In fact, I did, uh, you've heard of March of the Living, I presume? Of I, I, yes. I did 10 March of the Livings as a voluntary video guy. OMG. Yeah, OMG, all right. <laughs> but I, the, even more important there, I we um, did a lot of... Out, other than going on March Living to Poland and Israel, I always made a plan with some of the other people there to go a bit earlier to Europe. And we did side trips and uh, we went to the Ukraine and Belarus and uh, southern Russia and places all over Eastern Europe there. And wherever we could find a mass grave or uh, a memorial, we would video it. And so I have a collection which I've donated to the Holocaust Museum of the sites, the the um, the memorials, the mass graves, and, and that from all over Eastern Europe. I think well over a hundred um, sites that I've given that footage to the to the JHC. Fabulous! So I've done that, and uh, your I, grandparents would be proud. Yeah, I think so. Because recently, um, one of my cousins found a family photo. I'm getting it restored at the moment. It shows my grandmother at the age of about five, with her grandfather. Wow. So And the whole extended family. Uh, so there's about 30 people in the shot. I'm getting it restored. But it just it just proves to me that there is that link. There, that link is not, you know, not, not, not fallacious or whatever. It, it, there is a tangible link back to Poland, you know, going back Absolutely. to the 1800s even earlier, you know, uh, because that was my grandfather's grandfather, my grandmother's grandfather. So, you know, you take the 80 years plus 80 years, it's 160 years off where we are today so you know really yeah. and for those people that aren't familiar March of the Living is a hugely emotional experience yeah it is I, yeah, and then it's yeah. not just Jewish people no, no. but it's you can't Christians, help but you can't help but get emotional when you go on uh, an education tour like that and you see the horrors just of describe the it briefly well you the kids 
they were taken on a trip to Poland and to commemorate the Shoah. They would get to Auschwitz on a certain day for the big commemoration ceremony. But before that, they would um, they would visit places like Majdanek. Um, uh, and actually Auschwitz. walk a good park at the park. Yes, definitely walk. The actual March of the Living Day is a walk from Birkenau to Auschwitz to Birkenau and then partake in the ceremony. Became a bit too big and, you know, a bit too American, a lot of noisy young American <laughs> children, you call them that, hijacked the event a few years. But um, there are, a lot of people do respect it. And one of the peak years we were there was... We're talking thousands? Thousands. 5,000 people marched on one of those peak years between 2004-2014 when I went those times, 10 times. Um, and I also went along with me, Emmanuel Santos, a fantastic photographer, came as well and, docu- and documented it. The, the 10th year is still as impactful as the yeah. first time you uh, went? Or? Yes and no. I, I think I lost it a bit after about six or seven trips. Yeah. You know, why am I here? Why am I doing this again? Because it, it, it was very exhausting. But I imagine yeah. there'd be very different people each year. Oh, yeah, the kids. Yeah, the kids. Sometimes, sometimes you get a a batch that would just gel and be very intelligent and want to engage all the time. Other times you've got absolute rat bags. I mean, it happens in any, in any circumstance. But uh, I'd love you to put together a March of the Living over 10 years, mm. just put together a documentary. <laughs> well, I've left, I've left it all to somebody else to do because I've donated all the footage to the, <laughs> the Jewish Holocaust Centre and they've promised to have some form of permanent um, AV set up once the new building's now, finished. I don't know your wife, Rosie, yes. but uh, from what you've said, she sounds like a really traditional Jewish girl. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> She's a champion. And the fact that you've been able to stay married for over 30 years... <laughs> She's tolerated makes her, me, yes. ...makes her even more so. I have to be careful what I say here, No, it's, it's a very special thing to be married for that long and not be looking to get divorced now. Now, I'm presuming you're not looking no, to get no, divorced. No, no it sounds like no. you've you've really created a wonderful life together. Yeah. How did you meet her and how did you know she was I think she had the eyes on me. I think it was the full reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I was sharing a house in, uh, in Paran and uh, the, the, the sister of the guy I was sharing with him was a friend of Rosie. She came to the house one day and the, the conversation goes to her girlfriend, I'm going to marry that guy one day. And, and, wow. and that's, what, that's what happened. <laughs> well, our, and our courtship and our, and our courtship didn't, uh, was only, it was quick. It was six, nine months, something like that. And one afternoon we said to each other, we might as well get engaged. <laughs> were you thinking of getting married? Because you were 30, so... Yeah. You were no longer a younger bucher. So was that on your mind? Well, or were you were getting, thinking yeah, of old it friends or? were getting married around that time and uh, in the same sort of circumstances. Yeah, 30 was a good age. And uh, got engaged at 30, married at 31. And um, Kids, Nat- how quickly Natalie after? and Samantha came two to three, three to four years after. Those really girls, nice. They were just Mount Scopus, those two girls. Yeah, yeah, I would say you're really lucky that she found you because um, <laughs> a lot, especially the type of life you were living. Very unusual for a, for a spouse to, you know, not be part of, say, married to a lawyer or a doctor. You know, I was away a lot. I travelled a lot. A lot of plans got ruined. You know, I had to work, had to go interstate, you know, trips away, whatever. Um, 
on a regular, very regular basis. My, the joke in the family was, you know, how's the family in Sydney? You know, the kids, the kids would also ask, how, how's how the Sydney, how's the Sydney family? You know, <laughs> but um, you know, it was. We did yeah, right. I don't imagine your your mindset back when you're in your even late twenties, even though friends were getting married, was about. I better start looking for someone or I really or I'm sure you dated a lot even though you were travelling. I mean oh, I had a few flings <laughs> but not many, not many. It's cuz nobody else decided okay, he's got he's got what I want as a husband. Yeah, I, I don't think they they wanted a traveler, you know, as much as uh, Rosie put up with it. She she tolerated it well, but um she she liked their she likes her independence too, so it worked out well. But you know maybe I don't know, the girls didn't suffer from me being away. I mean I've always been a very conscious father and uh, and there have they followed in your footsteps at all or? Um, well, both of them are teachers. Uh, the younger one, Samantha, is probably more into the um, media side of things. Uh, she she was a dancer uh, for years, choreographer. Had you know she worked at all the dance schools, kids love her and all that. Natalie was exercise and Natalie don't go well together. Although she does, if she's listening to this, she's a good girl that she goes to gym every day or two. <laughs> I'm not a gym person either. It's the last place yeah, I want to go. Yeah, no, 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 they're good, but that not. But um, um, Samantha's husband's very musical, so they do a lot of things together. Yeah. Very nice. Mm. And really, that's what you want. But when you say, you know, you used to travel a lot, you used to this a lot, you used to that a lot, your wife like, the really important things are more about character and more about um, the inner integrity and the inner way you think about things generally. And I think that's what attracts people to each other. They see the good in each other and they mm. see all the things they like. Well, opposites attract, they say. So it's like, <laughs> I don't, yeah. Uh, I, I think I have a fairly reasonable social conscience. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I don't well, tolerate crap much anymore, you know. That's a good thing. And bullshit that you see and hear every day. But I've got to, just for a bit of feedback as well, you have about you a very um, more positive um alive kind of nature and air and then even in the way you speak to people which i've noticed on the few times that we've been together you have an innate kindness and caring and they're really wonderful qualities that um that rosie was lucky to find she certainly was you, yes <laughs> Please remind her, Lily. <laughs> no, Big fan. No, so you, you, you. <laughs> thank that's... you. No, thanks. I, look, I, it's important to be respectful of whatever they're, they're coming from. You know, I, 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 I learned a lot of that at university. I don't know if I learned so much of that at school. Caulfield Grammar was, it was a boys' school. There was a bit of bullying, all that sort of stuff. I did what I had to do to get through. Mm. But I found my way at uni, and uh, when I had to mix with. You know, mixed with real people, you know. Yeah. And uh, I ended up on the student union there. I ended up as university president. Yeah. 78, 79. And so. taking on those kinds of roles uh, says a lot about you and your character and who you are. So you've always had a good sense of self and a um, confidence yeah. because that's the big thing with kids is confidence. Mm. 
Yes, um, I used to have turned this terrible shade of red. My cheeks, my <laughs> cheeks would give away. I was no good playing poker because if I had a good hand, my cheeks would go bright red. <laughs> and with the red hair, it was not a good look, you know. So you I, had red hair. I did. Oh wow! Flaming ginger red that, wow. uh, for many years, right through to my twenties. And then back in then, you had those terrible haircuts, or you didn't even have haircuts back then. You know, <laughs> your hair was long and buffy, and oh god, how people could wear hair like that. <clears throat> but yeah, no, it was flaming red. <laughs> and Sion, what what else do you want to do now that you're? I won't even ask how old you are, but you've sort of. I'm si- old... I'm sixty six, sixty seven oh, okay. in August. Um, what do I want to do? If I hadn't have been made uh, redundant at the work I was at a few years ago, I would have loved to have stayed there another few years. And then around the age of 69, 70, would have actively sought retirement. But, uh, you know, I'm still working. I play bridge, okay? I have a good set of friends, obviously. Um, I'm not a sports person per se. I don't really worry about the football too much or the cricket. I enjoy watching every now and again. But you also really like the work you do as yeah, well. Yeah, I do. And I and I volunteer my time if video is needed. Um, um, and I help out where I can, you know, with the camera, man with the camera. <laughs> and with the Jewish community other than J.R.? Well, I did a lot with the JCCV back in, say, 12... 2012 through 12, 2016, I got one of their certificates, contribution to the community service certificates. Thank you very much. So I did a lot of camera work and provided cameras for when they needed it. Then they haven't asked me in recent years, but that's okay. I did a bit for Jewish Care. I did a bit for Emmy Monash. You know, I've done I've done the rounds. Um, and for yourself, is there a project that you'd like to do or put together? Um, something that you might have been thinking about over the years either to do with family or something that you've seen? Um, to be honest, no, not really. But I, I will pursue making short films. I've made quite a, a, a swag of short films. I've, I'm happy I've, to hear you say that because I've got a bunch of projects <laughs> I can now talk to um, you about. Rosie says we should make a feature film. You know, if Samantha could write it, she could act in it, the other one could dance in it. You know, Perfect. A, a family feature film. Tell the girls to write <laughs> oh, it. <God. laughs> I don't know about that. Um, no, at the moment I'm just in limbo land with uh, work, so we'll see what happens. You know, um, can you relax us. and just enjoy? Well, I do. Time I off. do a lot of uh, watch probably too much television, uh, but there's so much to watch with all the streaming channels now. Rosie runs this Facebook site called Seriously. Oh right, that's okay. hers with eight thousand uh, followers now. So she's always posting about shows. I'm forever watching the first episode of a particular story. Never get to see the second, third, or more episodes of a particular show. I think I've got. I think this week alone we started five new series. I've only watched one episode of each. Um, I know time is time is yeah. the big thing. But I think look, I really want to see the station uh, become self-sufficient. The funding model's got to change. We've got to provide. Uh, radio opportunities for those that want it. We're going to continue to do that. Um, I want to expand the radio into television in a way, not uh, taking away from what Henry Greener does with the shtick, but offer television services within it. Uh, I'd love to see it get relocated to um, the Jewish Arts Quarter, which is going to come along in the next few years uh, in uh, in yeah. Selwyn Street. 
that just makes total common sense. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, they're the plans for the station. Um, and and do your brother back here in Australia? Uh, both brothers, yeah. One lives in Sydney, one lives in uh, Noosa in, uh, up in Queensland. He's been there for like 20 years, 30 years. Nice. And you make sure you speak to each other regularly? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, with all families, you have one that you talk to a lot, one you talk to a little bit. The one in Sydney, we talk a lot, a lot. I think it's because of our same industry. He brings me about what camera should I use. I bring him about how something should be edited or written. You know, so we have a collaboration that way. And I'm sure that if he had been in Melbourne, we would have had a production company together. Right. Yeah. So it it look. I want to really thank you for taking the time because I've been asking you to do this yeah. for a well, very we found very some long time, time. Didn't we? Thank you. We actually did. When when you have an intention, it actually comes through. But you are—you also epitomise what a wonderful normal life can be after the war, because what your parents and grandparents went through, and then coming to Australia, the dream was for the kids not to experience hardship mm. and not to experience trauma. So you've obviously lived that, and yeah, um, we uh, yeah. Look, uh, as much as my grand mother my grandmother and her two sisters were touched by having to leave Bialystok and obviously must have left cousins behind and elderly people behind was never really discussed that I can remember mm. and on the other side they came to Australia in 1925 so on my wow. dad's side so they were very anglophile anglicized or whatever the word is um, you know, before the war very lucky but the very left wing my uncle stood as the socialist candidate against her, um, um, Prime Minister um, Menzies in 1956 wow. in the seat of Higgins, yeah. <laughs> but left-wing is not what it used no, to be. No, that's right. Well, he was communist candidate. That, that's because that's what that was in well, those days. My yeah. grandparents were raging communists. Yeah. They actually left Poland to go to Russia. Yeah. When they heard that the Russians were coming, they went early. To, yeah. And they very quickly found out. But they were my on that side. They were very much a mixture of capitalist slash communist, because there was no they they made money, and uh, they did okay for themselves. You know that that side of the family. Yeah. You know what? Just as you were saying that, I think. That's the problem of the communists today. Once they make money, they made money because they said they were communists, so they have to keep the facade up, but they actually become right. exactly the opposite. I know, so. I know, crazy. You probably came across my uncle when you had to, at the fish market probably, when he, was, he used to be a card player. <laughs> They were wonderful people. Yeah. Those old Jewish, old white Jewish men were just the yeah. salt of the earth. And uh, God bless them. Sion, thank you very much. I love your vision for J-Air going forward as well. And um, Thanks, Lily. And thank When's you. this show? I can't remember when your time slot is. It's Thursdays, 2 o'clock. <laughs> I'll have to tune in. Live. That's tomorrow. <laughs> that is tomorrow. I've and got I'm my actually... school 50-year reunion dinner tomorrow night. I can't believe this. OMG. Oh, I know, from Caulfield Grammar. That'll be an interesting exercise. I haven't seen any of those guys for 50 years. so We should have done this interview tomorrow, <laughs> but then I wouldn't have had it for the show. I could, I could be very angry. Who knows? <laughs> well, as you know, I lived away for over 20 years, and the biggest shock for me coming back was seeing people I used to know and what they look like now because I didn't feel that old, but I must 
look yeah. similar to them yes. because but it should be fun do you remember a lot of people from there you know having looked at all the photographs that we've put an audio visual thing together I, I remember that guy that guy quite a random selection but unfortunately I, I don't think love the 120 students I think only about 40 or 50 are coming tomorrow night so we'll see <laughs> enjoy enjoy Thank are you. you also filming no 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 please don't even suggest that to me. <laughs> thanks Sion okay. all the best thanks Lily there we go cool. now I just need to check that we're that we recorded it and we'll all